Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that truth that your love will never give up on us. And as we come before you today to talk about the topic of generosity once again, we thank you for being such a generous God. We thank you that you held nothing back, but you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to the world to live the only perfect life a human being ever lived, and then to give up that life freely, to generously die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins and give us new life. God, as we talk specifically about treasure today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth and also motivate it, motivate our hearts to express your love by how we give our tithes and our offerings and gifts to you in such a way that you're glorified and that people here in Saxonburg, our region, our nation, and the very ends of the earth come to know you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so glad that you're here with us online as we continue our series, New Beginnings Generosity. Today, our focus is being generous with our treasure or our money. We live in a culture that's obsessed with money, right? I mean, if you're a capitalist, you believe that everyone ought to be able to make as much money as possible because then sort of the the goods will travel down to everybody and everybody will be blessed. But if you're a socialist, you believe that the rich people need to be taxed more heavily so that everyone will have what's fair. Either way, our culture thinks that every problem we have can be solved with money. I learned a really long time ago a very important truth. Any problem that can be solved with money isn't a problem. I learned that in my very first year as a pastor. I was basically a youth pastor at a church called Crestview Presbyterian in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I had a problem. I needed $400 for a youth ministry event, and my problem was the youth ministry budget for the year uh, was only $400, and that had already been spent. I came in July. It was a church of 800 members, and I couldn't believe the budget was $400. And since I came in July, that $400 was long gone. But there was a ministry event coming up, and we needed $400. So I went to one of the elders in the church, and I said, I have a problem. He goes, what's your problem? And I said, I need $400 for a ministry event, and the budget's already spent. And he started laughing. I mean, he laughed out loud. And I said, what's so funny? And he said, I have two dead kidneys. If I don't get a kidney transplant, I'm going to die. That's a problem. And then he paused like I just paused. And he said, always remember, any problem that can be solved with money isn't a problem. And then he reached into his desk. He pulled out his checkbook. He wrote a check to the church for $400, put youth ministry in a memo line, handed it to me. And he said, see, no problem. I have always remembered that any problem that can be solved with money isn't a problem. A number of years later, I was preparing a message on stewardship, on how we use or manage the money that God has entrusted to us to his glory. And as I prepared it, I came across another resource, and it was from John Maxwell, and he said something else that I added to that list of truths that I've always remembered about money. He said this, churches never have money problems, they only have people problems. What he meant by that was that if a church can't meet its financial needs and they've been prayed through by the leadership and the commitments have been made carefully and and in prayer, that there's one of or both of two problems going on. Number one, the people have not committed to Jesus' understanding of generosity and giving. Or two, the church has not continued to grow in numbers of people, which in the pre-COVID world was always possible with intentionality and commitment to Jesus' great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. I believe even in the COVID world, it's still possible. 
Maxwell's point was, in a church where the people are committed to share Jesus with other people and to live out their own commitments to Jesus faithfully, generosity, when it comes to money, will be the rule. It will be the norm. So I've served as a pastor for more than three decades now. Those truths that I just mentioned have guided me in an understanding of generosity and giving when it comes to money. But the Bible serves as a much more powerful guide to our understanding in this area. Do you realize that the Bible contains more than 2,000 verses and references to money and giving? That makes it a vital theme for us to consider and live out as, his, as Jesus' followers. So right now, we're going to investigate Jesus' focus for treasure and ours. That's the title of today's message. Do you notice an assumption that's made in it? The assumption is that Jesus' focus for treasure might not be the same as ours. A couple weekends ago when I was talking about being generous with our time, I said that we all start out selfish because we live in a fallen world. We want what we want. We assume that everything is ours. And that's the first difference between the way Jesus sees treasure and the way we see it. Jesus always assumed that everything we have is a gift from God. It's not ours in the first place. But as we turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, and then verse 24, we're going to see another difference between Jesus' focus for treasure and ours. Before we do that, let's look at today's take-home point. If you're watching with us for the very first time, we're so glad you're here, but we also want you to know what a take-home point is. The take-home point is the one point we want you to take home. You're already there. Live it out in the week ahead in prayer and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Using our treasure wisely means investing it in now and forever. Many human beings don't focus on investing money now or forever. They just take their money. As soon as they get it, they spend it. And actually, they even spend money they don't even have. Many decades ago, there used to be this thing that was called 90 days same as cash. What 90 days same as cash meant was you could buy something. You didn't have to pay a penny. And and, and after three months, you had to pay the whole amount. And if you did then that was good. But if you didn't, you had to pay an exorbitant interest rate. And what people found out is typically they weren't able to save or store up enough money during those three months to pay it off, and they found out a very important truth. 90 days is not the same as cash. Because what they found out was that they didn't have the discipline they needed or the wherewithal to come up with the money, and so they did pay that exorbitant interest rate, or they even lost the item. Those who do focus on investing money here on earth often focus only for this life. They want to accumulate enough to live comfortably in retirement. And there's nothing wrong with that thinking to a certain extent. But as we'll see, Jesus had a much more long-term idea in mind when it came to investing than just our retirement years. Let's turn to Matthew 6, 19 to 21 to see what Jesus emphasized about treasure. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus told us to store up treasure in heaven rather than on earth. His reasoning is sound as we would expect because it's Jesus doing the reasoning. What he said is when we store our treasures here on earth, moths and rust destroy them. That is, if they're made of cloth or metal. And he said, if they're monetary treasures, thieves can steal them. And as many have discovered in our technological world, that's true even if the money is stored in a bank account or in some other investment account. They can even steal our identities these days. Thieves have always found a way to steal. And Jesus' point is, they always will. That's the danger of storing our treasures here and now. 
or only here and for our earthly futures. Jesus said we ought to store our treasures in heaven because nothing can destroy or steal them. What did Jesus mean when he said we need to store our treasure in heaven? Well, it's simple. Jesus meant invest your treasure in ways that will help others enter heaven. After all, the treasure of heaven isn't material treasure. If you think about it, if you go to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Jesus revealed to John what heaven is like, and he said that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Now, if the streets are paved with gold, why do you think we would need to store up monetary treasure in heaven? The only things that we can take to heaven, after all, aren't things anyway. They're people. While the only way for a person to get to heaven is through trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, we can make investments with our material treasures that will make it possible for people to hear about Jesus or to experience His love in tangible ways. For example, a couple weeks ago, we gathered in this very room to pack 126,000 meals for children in Honduras. And as we did that, we were storing up treasure in heaven. Why do I say that? Because when the children who are in Honduras receive those meals, they're going to know something. They're going to know that somebody cares enough about them to keep them from being hungry. And what's going to happen is the Honduran pastors who hand out the food are going to tell them that that one who cares about them is Jesus. And some of those children will trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. In fact, Alan Sowers told us that 15,000 people are trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord every single year through the ministries of the 1,200 pastors supported by Sowers for Pastors. That's one of the reasons that the lead team has committed us as a church family to providing $300 per month to the ministry of Sowers for Pastors in 2021. It's why before we gather together every November to finalize our proposed budget, as he, for, for the year, the lead team prays individually and together. We think and reflect because we take it very seriously that we want to see that the, the offerings that are given, the tithes that are given, are stored up ultimately in heaven. And even though we take that so seriously and we pray fervently, Jesus has never dropped a golden budget from the sky that tells exactly how we can store up the most treasure in heaven by making the, the best investments for eternity with the various missionaries, mission causes, and work that we do in, through, and beyond new life. But that's where our faith and yours comes in. After all, Jesus said, storing up our treasure in the last thing he said about storing up our treasure in heaven is this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So as we think about the ministries that we're going to support in, through, and beyond new life, we're always seeking to make sure they lead to our hearts, desiring men, women, and children becoming followers of Jesus who will one day join us in heaven forever. Jesus made another powerful point about treasure or money a few verses later. He said this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I've always noticed that Jesus didn't say, It's hard to serve two masters. He said, No one can serve two masters. It's just not possible. He reminded us that we're going to love the one and hate the other. We're going to be devoted to one. We're going to despise the other. So who are these two masters that vie for our allegiance in this life? 
Jesus said it's God and money. And he said those words 2,000 years ago, and he was talking to people who lived basically in an agrarian culture, and he said the chief rival God in our lives to the one true God is money. Now, those people that lived in Jesus' day, they got up in the morning, and they worked from morning, sunup to sundown, just trying to raise food or grow food for their family. So in that context, Jesus said the chief rival God in our lives to the one true God is money. If that was true for them, How much more is that truth multiplied in our time? If I ask you this question, are you rich? Most of you would say no. Unless, of course, you've been around for one of our series called Congratulations, You're Rich. We tend to compare ourselves to those in our culture who we think are rich, such as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. But the truth of the matter is, 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. That's $3,650 a year. The challenge is we think that we need to have a million dollars in the bank or $5 million in the bank or more in the bank so that we can have a secure future. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And what he basically was saying is money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Here's the most important question I can ask us if we want to be sure that Jesus is Lord in our lives, if he is our master. Here's the question. Who or what is first in your life? Think about it for a moment. Don't answer too quickly because whoever or whatever is first in our lives gets to dictate how we live. Now, a few verses after Jesus made the statement about nobody serving two masters, he made this statement, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So if God is first in our lives, if we're storing up our treasure in heaven, then God will take care of all these things. What does that mean? It's our needs. It means God will supply our needs if we put him first. Needs, the things that we need to live and thrive, food, clothing, transportation, shelter, relationships. But is God first? Is seeking God in his kingdom and his righteousness first in our lives? This series is called New Beginnings Generosity. Every single one of us need new beginnings in the area of generosity in our lives. Today, we're talking about new beginnings when it comes to treasure or money, how we use it. And that starts with putting God first. When God is first, we won't argue about whether tithing is from the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's both. We won't try to figure out whether to give based on the net or the gross. New beginnings in being generous with our treasure start when we commit to putting God first in everything we do and to investing our treasure now and for eternity. I can tell you that wherever you go, wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, let's call this the generosity spectrum. And here we have Ebenezer Scrooge before the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future visited him. And over here at the other end, we have Ebenezer Scrooge after he was visited by the ghost of past, present, and future. However, wherever you fall in there, your understanding of who your master is is going to be dictated by that. Now, if you haven't heard of Ebenezer Scrooge, I mean, I hope you have. I mean, he was made famous by Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol. But Ebenezer Scrooge was rich beyond measure in this world. He was the richest man in town by far. But when it came to being rich in people, in investing in his family, in his friends. Well, he didn't really care about his family. He didn't have any friends. He, he didn't help those in need because year after year when the opportunities came, he said, ha, bah, humbug. I don't care about them. I don't care about anyone. I have my money. I own it and I'm going to take care of it and they can take care of themselves. 
But after the visitation of the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future, Scrooge was transformed. He became the most generous man in town. He gave more of his money away than he would have ever thought of giving any time before he had that visitation. He became one of the most loved people in the town. And here's something we cannot miss. People didn't love Ebenezer Scrooge because he gave them money. They loved him because he gave them himself as he gave them money. His generosity came from a transformed heart. Dickens tells us it was the ghost who touched Ebenezer Scrooge and moved him from this extreme to this extreme. The ghost of Christmas, past, present, and future. Let me tell you this. It's the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit who will change our hearts from the inside out and will change us so that we can move from wherever we are on the the generosity spectrum to this end of the spectrum where we love people enough that we invest our treasure so that they can end up in heaven one day. And we won't do it perfectly, but as the Holy Spirit grabs hold of our hearts and as we submit ourselves to Him, we will do it more and more effectively and we will be changed more and more from the inside out. So how do you start that change? How do you make a new beginning in generosity when it comes to treasure? It's simple. First thing you do is find out what God says about money. And then you start doing what he says in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with something that's very simple. Tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of what we make. So it doesn't matter whether it's 10% of your gross or your net, just 10%. So if you make $1,000 a week, easy math, $100. You make $247 a week, still easy math, $24.70. You make $50,000 a week. $5,000. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You just move the zero, right? You move the decimal point. I'm sorry. If you're thinking, oh, great, you're just trying to get me involved in that legalistic activity from the Old Testament. No, I'm not. I'm showing you the way to start letting go of a significant enough portion of what you make that you'll feel it when it goes. God asked for 10%. It wasn't me. I started doing it when I was a teenager. You know, it was really easy to tithe when I was a teenager because 10% of not much is pretty easy to give. After many decades of practice now in giving that in that kind of a way, I, I love giving away. The Holy Spirit has grabbed a hold of my heart and, it, and it's become more and more generous. And Nancy and I give away far more than 10% at this time. You may have heard that tithing is the only action in the Bible where God actually asks us to test him in it. And that's true. You can find that in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Another area where we can have a new beginning with our treasure is to consider what are we going to do with what we keep, whether it's 90%, 80%, whatever percent. What are we going to do with that that will store up treasure in heaven? Well, let me give you an idea. Open your home to someone who needs a place to live. It's not your home anyway, right? It belongs to God. Nancy and I have been doing that since we first started in the ministry. Sometimes it's been a great blessing to us personally, and sometimes it's been really hard. That's not the point. The point is this. When you give someone a home, whether temporarily or permanently, in Jesus' name, you show them that Jesus loves them and cares about them. That can be the start for them to trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, to start their journey to heaven. Now, if you're thinking... Well, if I do that, things could go wrong. Let me help you out a little bit. No, things will go wrong if you do that. And sometimes you'll need to end the arrangement. It's just one idea among hundreds, but it's a very helpful idea. Let let me give you just one more idea. If you plant a garden every year, 
when you plant your garden next year, plant a little bit extra or take a little bit of the proceeds of your garden and give it to somebody in need or somebody who would appreciate it. Over the years, people have given Nancy and me fresh produce from their gardens and we always appreciated the blessing. I always appreciate it a little more if it's tomatoes or strawberries than if it's zucchini, just saying. But once you get started with being generous in any area of your life, when it comes to treasure, you're going to find out what a blessing it is when you start helping others in Jesus' name. And when you're calling on the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it, you're going to find out it becomes a greater and greater blessing to give. And there won't be any turning back. Once you get started down that path and the power of the Holy Spirit, you just won't be able to stop giving. And here's why. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus ought to know, right? So here's the question. Who is first in your life? Would anyone believe you if they looked at your bank accounts to see where you've given money away or into your home to see who you've hosted for dinner or who you've welcomed to stay with you or to any area of your material blessings with your treasure? If the answer is yes, then praise God. But if the answer is no, then make a commitment to today's next step. I will invest my treasure wisely for this life and the next. If you've never done that, then who is first in your life? If you have, then there's always another step in the path of generosity as we move toward being the most generous person that God created us to be. Generosity doesn't have an ending point in this life, but it does open the door to the next for those around us. Amen? Amen. Everything I've said today relies on one reality, Jesus being our master. And that only happens when he is Savior and Lord in our lives. Savior means that he rescued us from sin and death. And Lord means master, just like he said, no one can serve two masters. So when Jesus is Lord in our lives, what happens is we start to change and from the inside out. And we start to give generously of our time, of our talents, our treasure, and our touch. But the first step is to make Jesus our master, our Lord. As I say so so often here at New Life, that's very simple to do. Not easy, but simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is to admit that we're sinners, to admit that we've been selfish, to admit that we haven't been generous in maybe any area of our life, let alone every area of our life. We admit we're sinners. B, we believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Today, I'm going to say Jesus as Savior and Master, meaning that we not only believe that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, that he was a great moral teacher, but that he is the Son of the living God, and that it is in him that we have the only opportunity for salvation because he and he alone has died on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for our sins and risen again to give us new life. And then, see, we confess our sins to God. And we confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior to others. So A, B, C, admit, believe, confess. If you've never done that, I'm going to ask you to do that while we pray. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And those of you who are watching who have made that commitment yesterday, last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, a lifetime ago it might seem, uh, we're going to pray together too. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your goodness and love. I thank you for your generosity. You've given us every good and perfect gift. Most of all, you've given us Jesus who died on the cross and rose again that we can have new life. God, I pray today for anyone 
who is watching online, who is saying right now, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I, I pray that they will pray with me right now, that they will admit to you that they're sinners, that they will believe, they will trust, they will say, Jesus, I believe you are God. You are my savior. You are my master. I give my life over to you right now. And right now, I pray that each one will confess that Jesus is Lord. They will confess any sin that has been blocking their pathway to life in heaven where treasure will be for eternity. And that treasure is you, God, and our brothers and sisters who come alongside because of Jesus' salvation. God, we thank you for that. And I thank you for every single person who's listening, watching online right now who has already trusted you as Savior and Lord. God, I pray that you'll fill us anew with your Holy Spirit so that as we live this day and each day you give us, we will become more and more generous. That wherever we are on that spectrum of generosity, that we will take the next step in being more generous with our time, our talents, our treasure and touch, that you will be glorified in our lives today and always. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that commitment to Jesus for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the chat and someone will talk with you or chat with you about what that means. And we'd love to, I'd love to follow up with you if you go into that chat and just give me your name and address. I'll send you a letter this week and we can talk about what it means to live for Jesus. For everyone who's been watching today, God bless you. I pray that this week will be a powerful testimony of how God's generosity in your life is being shared with others so that we can store up treasure in heaven from this day forward. God bless you. Have a great week.